Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Movies. My name is Daniel Berrios, I am your host for the evening. Thank you for swinging on by. You know, I finished a really shitty shift at work today, and nothing makes me happier than coming home and knowing that I get to talk movies with you beautiful, beautiful people. So for those of you that are listening, I thank you dearly. For showing up. Uh, before we start talking about today's movie, I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping, which involves the reviews. I've been saying this for a long ass time that when you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, I will read it. And so today's review comes from my best friend, my brother in the world. I know I, I know who this is. This is my buddy Dakota. Uh, his username is Aces High Drummer. And his title is My Favorite Podcast! Three exclamation points. Daniel really knows what he's talking about when it comes to movies. You're goddamn right. He makes it fun to listen, throwing in great music and references. I look forward to listening more. Thank you, bud. It's a great honor to have you say such nice things about me. And I promise these reviews are not going to be me blowing smoke up my ass the entire time. But if you want your comments about the show to be heard on the show, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You know, let me know what you think about me. Let me know what you think about the show. Let me know what you think about the movies. You know, anything you've got to really say about the episode or about the film, just leave it in a review on Apple Podcasts, and I will make sure to read it on the next episode. Also, rate the rate the rate the podcast on Spotify too. Fuck it, give me. I need more ratings. You know. And again, I promise you, I, I beg of you, do not blow smoke up my ass. It, leave an honest review. Do yourself a favor and do not lie to yourself. But without any further ado, we are talking about today's matinee, which is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're an ex-con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but Quanta. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now. I've 
gives you hope. And give you more time. If you help me. So, what's it gonna be? Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is directed once again by Peyton Reed of Bring It On fame. It is starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Catherine Newton replacing, I believe, Emma Furman from Avengers Endgame, if I'm correct, the one who's playing Cassie. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, you've got Michael Douglas, Ed the Big Man himself. The king of 2023, it is his time, Mr. Jonathan, the last black man in San Francisco, Majors. Oh, man. Uh, this guy is on fucking fire this year. He's been in Creed 3. He's been in this movie. Movies that are back-to-back, -back, by the way. The, like, Ant-Man drops, what, in February or something? And then Creed 3 drops in March. And then you've got Magazine Dreams, which dropped at Sundance. And I think it might be coming either summer or fall. It's going to be that big Oscar push. Because Jonathan Majors has been in the industry forever. I mean, he's been, he's been uh, in Last Black Man in San Francisco, which was an indie hit. He was in Lovecraft Country, which people loved. People had a really good time with. The Five Bloods from Spike Lee. He was a good supporting performer in there. So he's been building and bubbling for a while. And now being the MCU's new biggest bad in a different kind of way than Thanos ever was. You know, this is the first time that we get a big bad in the MCU that you really see him from the jump. You know, like Thanos, you had to go through like an entire phase in order to really get to Thanos. And even then, you'd only see him occasionally. Like he would send his lackeys to do his busy work. He would send guys like Ronan or like even what he's doing with like Nebula in the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy. That kind of stuff. You're just seeing the tendrils of Thanos. No, you get a lot of personality from Kang in this MCU, starting with the one who remains in Loki or he who remains. And then in this movie, we've got the beginnings of the Conqueror. And the way this movie starts out is that it's, you know, Scott, after Endgame, realizes he's the king of the world and he's an Avenger and people buy him free shit or whatever. And his daughter and his girlfriend, I don't know if he and Evangeline Lilly's uh, Hope Van Dyne or the Wasp are married in this one. I don't think they are. So they're, you know... His daughter, Cassie, now replace they replaced Emma Furman from Avengers Endgame. That really intimate, heartbreaking, but like hopeful scene where Ant-Man runs back and sees that his daughter is aged five years. The cute little girl from Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp has aged five years. That actress is gone, and in her place is Catherine Newton from stuff like Paranormal Activity 4 and Detective Pikachu. Uh... Whether she is an upgrade or not, I guess, depends on what you expect from something like this. Uh, I'll have a lot more to say about this later. 
But I found uh, they are working together, Cassie and Hope, to kind of peer into the quantum realm. This whole movie is focused on this like special area where, you know, you can shrink pretty small and you can shrink to the size of an ant or be in a bathtub that seems like a gigantic ocean. But it's nothing compared to going subatomic to go smaller than the smallest particle and find this realm, this magical world, which kind of exists underneath our own called the quantum realm. And whenever, you know, science mumbo jumbo happens, they all get sucked into the quantum realm and now it's their job to find a way out. And within the quantum realm, they find this man, this conqueror named Kang, who has been left there for a long time and has basically created an empire in the quantum realm. And so you get these themes about... The movie kind of makes it this uh, catchphrase, this cute little catchphrase of like standing up for the little guy. And it's about rebellion and doing the right thing even when it's hard and like... Even if it's inconvenient to your desires at the moment, it's always the best idea or course of action to do the right thing. And if this starts sounding to you like the kind of morals that you'd receive in a Saturday morning cartoon, you're not wrong. And that's maybe where my enjoyment of this movie lands. You know, this is a movie <laughs> where the trailer did not win me over at all I thought the green screen was atrocious and the special effects looked lame and one of the things that I wasn't really into with this movie is that the quantum realm is a place that I have absolutely no context for and when you're working with powers like the idea of shrinking and growing the most important thing you can do is have visual context, which works really, really well in the first Ant-Man. Like, we all kind of have an idea of what a Thomas the Tank Engine train looks like. We know its relation in size to our hands and to our faces or, like, who we are, basically. You know that you can pick this thing up, it's a toy, you can play with it, you can throw it around, whatever. But then the fun comes whenever you are put in the perspective of somebody that's smaller, something that would see a Thomas the Tank Engine as a giant train, which would make, you know, that classic scene from the movie where Yellow Jacket gets whacked by a little, a little toy train, and to him it's being a catastrophic hit, but we cut from the outside looking in from our perspective, and it's just a little train bumping over. And anytime, like, you see Ant-Man in the bathtub or, like, Ant-Man finally grows and he's gigantic compared to these buildings, we have context for what those things look like. Therefore, whenever they're altered, that creates for a more exciting change of perspective and change of scenery, so to speak. However, I'm willing to bet pretty fucking good money that you nor I have any idea of what a quantum realm should look or feel like. So whenever Ant-Man grows or shrinks or whatever, like there's not really much being played on perspective because I don't know what this weird structure in the background is in real life. So when I see Ant-Man go small to see it, it doesn't really do anything for me. 
I thought the trailer was essentially just going to be Ant-Man and crew fucking around in some sci-fi smorgasbord green screen nonsense, and I wasn't really going to have fun with it at all. Now, what ended up happening, and I'm going to attribute this to partially one thing. I snuck in two beers to go see Ant-Man, and I was pretty much done with those beers in like 30 minutes. So I was feeling a little good. It was a very late showing. It was me, I think, uh, father and his daughter in front of me, directly in front of me. They got their tickets like right in front of me. And then there's this lady that came in the back that I'm pretty sure was just exhausted after a shift at work. Because I remember coming home, coming back from the bathroom one time, and this lady is like drooled over, mouth agape, sleeping. Which I cannot blame her. At this point, I think it's like midnight. But... We I watched this movie under the influence of alcohol and just found myself not really giving a shit about trying to connect this to the greater MCU. What ended up happening and running through my mind and what was a really good perspective for me was to think, you know, this movie feels like an old B movie in the way that I watch a movie from the 1950s or 60s like Adam Age Vampire or like from the 60s like The Brain That Wouldn't Die and sometimes those special effects I don't think of them as like shit. I think of them as quaint. You know, I don't watch a movie like The Blob and I think, oh, wow, like it's so fake, like it's so obvious. No, I understand that there are limitations and I understand that really the spirit behind it is just to have a good-ass time making a movie. And DIY, do it by any means necessary. And so I'm getting a similar kind of B-movie vibe from this. I really started looking at something like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and thinking, what are people going to think of this in like 70 years? If this is like in 2090, so to speak. Are they going to look at this as like, wow, these special effects look like real shit? Or are they going to think about it with some sort of nostalgic, quaint sensation behind it? Is that what people are going to think about? Maybe. And so when I decided to kind of stick with that B-movie mentality and realize that, yeah, this is just like a cartoon for kids, I ended up having a pretty fucking good time with it you know in Peyton Reed's Ant-Man I guess the first movie had like these big perspective plays that I guess mixed with the action was something that like was Edgar Wright's original influence and then I found on Ant-Man 2 that Peyton Reed just kind of let loose and just let himself have a lot of fun with the comedy and with the action and with some of the editing and the jokes like he really just had some fun and in this one I think Peyton Reed is really trying to just break out his best Star Wars impression you know there are so many weird little creatures you're gonna find here and they're all different like there's this one who is just like a gelatin thing that's obsessed with holes and then there's a guy who's played by William Jackson Harper who's a cheaty in the good place who's a telepath and actually he gets some pretty good lines I I like uh the way uh, Harper plays some of this and then there's a lady that kind of looks like Conan the Barbarian's alternate universe like as a woman and there's a guy that looks like he's made out of broccoli you know it's this entire scenery of this quantum realm that looks like the cantina scene on steroids 
you'll just look around and like there's an alien that looks like he's made out of this uh kintsugi thing you know that japanese thing where like if a pot breaks they'll put it back together and they'll have like these gold filaments running through the idea that kind of repairing something that's broken ends up making it more beautiful than it originally was you know, that kind of idea there's an alien that looks like that and i'm like oh that's really fucking neat and just finding myself looking around seeing what kind of creature designs that peyton reed's just pulling out of his ass just it felt enjoyable to me. I liked it. Uh, there are some effects, though. There are some creatures that don't necessarily land. Primarily Modok. I like it as a character. I understand it in comparison to tying Modok into the greater like Ant-Man lore of you know the movies that we've already seen. That face is horrific. <laughs> And those of you on the internet memeing this with Spy Kids 3 are not far off. And yet, I find myself not giving a fuck because the guy who plays MODOK is great. And he makes me laugh. And it's super silly the way it goes down. I cannot... Uh, I guess I'm just going to talk about the cast real quick. Uh, Paul Rudd is as entertaining as he usually is. Looks as young as he usually does. Uh, doing a little bit more of like worried dad, which I found the movie really should have, in my mind, taken more of like an emotional approach to and not just made him kind of like the the comedic worried dad that's worrying too hard for, you know, his own sake. Like he's not cool anymore despite being this thief in the past. And then um, Evangeline Lilly is one of those actresses that in Lost, she's effervescent. And in this movie, she just doesn't do anything for me. I don't know what's going down. Anytime Hope Van Dyne is on screen, I kind of just turn my brain off. And I'm just like, oh, this is a character that's just here. And especially in this movie, I found that she just kind of has a non-presence. The people I really do like, though, are Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas, who have presence and who are effervescent and crack some great jokes. And the movie does some stuff with their characters to where it gives you this kind of understanding of sort of this very loosey-goosey relationship they have, even though they clearly love each other to death. You know, spending 30 years apart from each other in the quantum realm has left them kind of weird, and I kind of like that. <laughs> it's also nice to see Michelle Pfeiffer's character go from just, like, a basic cameo in the second movie to being some character that actually has understanding of the world, and it's kind of guiding our characters through it. And so, just watching Michelle Pfeiffer in a movie again is always a delight for me. She is just one of our greats, our underrated greats, personally. The one person I do have a big problem with is Catherine Newton, and I guess the best way I can explain it is that I don't think she acts well against a total green screen, which is kind of weird because I really, really did like her in Detective Pikachu. She had this like weird, um, I guess this aggressively kawaii kind of energy and this weirdo anime influence kind of energy. Like, I realized that her performance, whenever I saw the Pokemon character designs that they based her off of, I'm like, oh, this is really exaggerated, and they try to bring it into real life. So I know she has the capability to go wild and to go 
a little bit more over the top and be sinking in properly to these fantastical sci-fi universes. But I think the way that Marvel does it, which I don't know if the... You know how, like, on The Mandalorian, they'll have, like, a green screen background that you can basically change? You know, you don't have to just shoot in green screen, focus on your background. Like, you can kind of do, like, a a Windows desktop for your green screen so the actors can feel like they're in the environments they need to be. I feel like, I don't know if that's the way they're working this, but you can tell the performance that they're grabbing is just not it. Especially when it comes to her having to react in really emotional moments. I found her reactions to be a little bit kind of monotone and I found uh, her facial expressions to be kind of off, like a little bit more forced than you would expect. So I don't know if that's just a level of discomfort with the green screen or maybe the editing didn't capture her best performance or... I don't really know, but Catherine Newton really didn't do it for me. Kang, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say Jonathan Major's performance is as strong as something in Loki, but I do like him. He's able to pull at different sides of himself with this character, and so this one is a little bit more conniving. It's a little bit more straightforward. Like, you don't fuck with me because I'm on top in this universe, essentially. Although when Jonathan Majors does need to kind of break out the charm or he does need to get especially menacing and hateful and angry and when he does need to try and kind of woo people on his side, he will bring that stuff out. So really the joy of watching Jonathan Majors in these MCU things is just seeing how far he'll go and knowing that his character has infinite possibility in limitless forms of expression, that leads to an exciting series of roles for a performer that's probably going to be in the MCU for the next, like, five, seven years. So that stuff really, really excites me. Uh, let's see. What doesn't really work about this movie? I, if I think about this movie too hard, I just... If you think about this movie too hard, it's going to fall apart. I mean, I completely understand where people are coming from with this being one of the weaker MCU movies, and it is Ant-Man. So I found that one of the great things about this series is the kind of lack of pressure that goes into it. That despite being connected to the MCU, they really do come across as their own stories. And, you know... Outside of like Thunderbolt, you're not going to see Ghost in the MCU anymore. And outside of Ant-Man, you're not going to see the Yellow Jacket character anymore. And the way that Paul Rudd sort of navigates his life from ex-criminal to upstanding hero and you know trying to be a great father at the same time, that stuff just feels a little bit more intimate. It feels connected to what I think Peyton Reed's trying to write his stories to be. It's less about the cameos. This is not Spider-Man No Way Home. Hell, this isn't really even Loki. There are a couple of people that come in, but it's not like, a, oh, we know them from the MCU. It's a, oh, this guy's in this movie. That's fucking rad. And he has his own character and just goes off and does the own thing. So if you're looking for a movie that doesn't take itself too seriously at all, if you want to see Jonathan Majors play Kang again and just do a different side to him, 
if you're into sci-fi silliness and you want to just have a couple beers, I really do think that the hate for Ant-Man and the Wasp Media is overblown. And I think it's a solid good time. So I would definitely... I don't know if I'd recommend it like a full price right now. I'd probably say... I think I saw it as a Tuesday matinee, like a $5 matinee. And that was totally fine for me. Just because, you know, you want to see a movie like this on the big screen. I didn't see it in 3D at all. I don't know how that affects people. But, uh, I don't know, 3D seems kind of like a just a cash grab anyway. And, I don't know, I felt myself properly enjoyed and bubbly off of just a 2D screening. But, yeah, that's going to be it for me talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. This episode, by the way, was recommended by my friend Cammy, ex-co-worker. I miss you and your chaos. And uh, I'm actually glad you convinced me to go see this because I was not looking forward to it and I ended up having a good time. So, Cammy, thank you so much for uh, inspiring me to go out of my way to go find this thing and watch it and review it. And, uh, yeah, if you all want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at the movies underscore pod, Instagram at the movies pod, letterboxd at letterboxd slash Daniel underscore Berrios, B-E-R-R-I-O-S. And as I said at the top, if you want to comment on the show, tell me what you think about Ant-Man, tell me what you think about the show, about me, anything you have in mind, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, and I will read it on the next episode. Also, rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, I don't give a fuck, anywhere. And I will say to close out the episode, I'm going to be listening to one of my new favorite bands. This is a punk band called Drug Church. And this is a song that after a really, really hard day at work where I seriously had the thought of I should have started a chemical fire. Yeah, Drug Church hits the spot. This is one of their biggest songs. It's called Weed Pin. And until next time, my friends, I'll see you later. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Bye.